turn to the Word here. Father, we uh, thank you for uh, your Word. We thank you that it uh, reveals truth. It, it tells us about the story that we are living in. And God, as we continue focusing on the drama of Scripture this morning, uh, would you give us insight as we, we look at the last act in this story? Uh, so important for us to know this, God. Would you uh, just shine truth into our hearts and minds about this area? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, this morning, as we continue through the journey of uh, the drama of Scripture, we've come to the final act in uh, the drama of Scripture. So far, we've looked at Act 1, creation, which describes the way God designed this world, the way things ought to be. We've uh, looked at the Act 2 that describes the fall, that, that describes the way the world actually is because of sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, humanity and creation are deeply marred. Redemption, Act 3, describes the way things can be because of Christ's death, resurrection, and his exaltation. And today we look at restoration that describes the way things will be. Restoration is about returning something or someone to its original state. And since we know the first act in this story, we know something about the original state, right? As God is creating, creating, he declares day after day, it is good. And when he made the man and the woman the pinnacle of his creation, he said it is very good. But that's not what creation is now, and it's not who we are now. It all needs to be restored. And that's what God is going to do in this final act of creation, when Jesus returns, humanity restored, and all of creation restored at the return of Christ. So today, um, we're going to look at the first part of this. We're going to look at the restoration of humanity. Next week, Steve will look at uh, the, the restoration of all of creation. And this under, understanding this is so important because when we understand Act 4, it has a way of sort of pressing back into our lives today. It presses back and helps us know how to live and creates desire for that experience and, and to, to live in a way that's more consistent with that. And so we need to understand restoration and what God has planned for us. When God restores humanity, it will, rest, it will extend to our, our physical bodies it will also extend to our, our moral, spiritual nature. And so I want to look at those two aspects of humanity's restoration. Scripture teaches that when Jesus returns, we will be given a restored body. And so uh, in Philippians 3, Paul says this in verse 20. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. So Paul's looking forward to restoration here when, he, when he's talking about this. And he makes the point that when Jesus comes, the one for whom, to whom we, we, we eagerly wait for his returning, our bodies will be transformed. He says now they, they are in kind of a humble state. Uh, the NIV says lowly. But when Jesus returns, our bodies will be transformed into conformity with his glorious body. We'll, we will receive glorious bodies that are appropriate to who we are as children of God. They will be like Jesus's glorious body. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, that's, that's where he probably spends the most time talking about the nature of our resurrected bodies. And so I want to 
look at a couple of verses in, in that chapter. Honestly, that whole chapter, as he talks about the resurrection, is it would be a great passage to read to, to think more about this, but uh, it's where he gives the fullest explanation of, of the transformation of the body. And uh, in verse 35 is kind of where the, the full context of what the verses I want to look at is, is where he starts, and he's, he's, uh, there's people asking questions. What is the nature of of how the dead are, are raised, and what kind of body will they be raised with? That's, that's the question that he is addressing. And in the context of this passage, he uses a, an imagery of a seed and says that, uh, that when a seed is sown, it, it needs to be sown, it sort of dies, but it gives birth to something different. Like some of you, I grew up on a farm, and every spring, Dad would go out and plant corn and plant soybean, and an uh, interesting thing, every year, that seed, that corn seed would be planted and it sort of die in the soil but it gave birth to something different. There was continuity, it was still corn, but the seed dies and gives birth to something different. And that's what he's saying is going to be true of our bodies as well. And so I want to pick up in verse 42. Paul writes this, he says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And so when Jesus returns, the bodies that we now have, if we're still living when he returns, in a moment, the scriptures say, they will be transformed into this kind of body. If we've already died, we will be resurrected and we will have a very different body. Paul says now the physical bodies that we have, they're, they're perishable, they're dishonorable, they're weak and, and natural. But once restored, they will be a very different thing. He says they'll be an imperishable body. You know, when you go to the grocery store and you buy fruit, that's a perishable item, right? It doesn't last long. Um, we have perishable bodies. I've always loved sports, athletics, being active uh, for a lot of years, did a lot of running, Two years ago, I did, I think, logged about 1,400 miles, which is about four miles a day, and I know some of you run more than that, but that was great for me, and I love that kind of life, but my knee began to hurt, and so last year, I had to pull way back on how much I was running, and in January, I had an MRI in my knee, and uh, the ortho doctor told me my kneecap is wearing out, and, and, and so it's real disappointing to me. This year, I'm still walking, but I probably will not have run more than 10 or 20 miles this year. My body is perishable. It is wearing out. It's getting older, weaker. It, this body will die. And you all have the same kind of physical bodies. But Paul says the body that you and I will be given in the resurrection, it will be Im, imperishable. It will not grow old. It will not wear out. It will be a very different thing. It will not die. We'll have imperishable bodies. In the restoration of our body, he says it will also be raised in glory. And that's, he talked about that in Philippians. He talks about it here as well. Right now, he says our bodies are in dishonor, that they are not what they were meant to be. There's a kind of shame, a kind of disgrace because of how sin has affected our bodies. There's a lowliness that was never meant to be the state of our bodies. But that's our, our experience because of sin and how it has marred our physical bodies. But he says we will be raised in glory. We will have bodies that conform to the, the glory of Jesus' body. And, and glory has a sense of radiant beauty, has a sense of brilliance. 
we will fully and completely reflect God's glory through our bodies in the way that we are intended, the way we were created to do. Our restored bodies will also be powerful. It says right now, our bodies are weak. They're weak. I went uh, two weeks ago and I got a flu shot um, for a couple reasons. One, because it's, it's free at Dillon's, which is pretty cool. I like that. But mainly I got it because my body is subject to sickness. And they say it's a good thing to get a flu shot. So I, I went, got a flu shot. I've only done it two years in a row now. So. But uh, we have bodies that, that are subject to sickness, to weakness. Some of you here today, you don't feel so great. And you're tired. Your, your, your physical body just feels weak for a lot of different reasons. But our resurrected bodies will be powerful. They will be powerful. We will have the strength that God intended us to have. It won't be unlimited power. Only God has unlimited power, but we will have the strength to do everything that God wants us to do. We will have the strength to do everything that conforms to God's will. We will have that in our physical bodies. And finally, Paul says we'll have spiritual bodies. And and by calling our resurrected resurrected bodies spiritual, he's not saying that that they're going to be immaterial, that they're going to be non-physical. Rather, they'll be spiritual in a a way consistent with the way Jesus' resurrected body was. We know Jesus, in his resurrection, he had a physical body. The the disciples saw his scars, right? They touched him. He ate. And yet it was a different kind of body because he would show up in a room and he didn't open the door. He got in there in a different way. And so it's a physical body, but a spiritual body, and it's, it's just a different thing. And it's hard for us to understand exactly what that is, but we will have a body like that. We'll be given a glorious resurrection, resurrected body, fit for eternity, fit for life in God's presence. That's the hope that we have in restoration. Bodies, imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. The restoration will affect our bodies. And that is good news. Secondly, we will also experience full spiritual transformation. Full spiritual transformation. When we trust Jesus, when we experience redemption, when we experience what we talked about in Act 3, we are forgiven for our sins. And we begin a process of what's called transformation. It's a journey of the, the rest of our Christian life, right? Where we begin to seek to grow up in Christ and to live like he wants us to do. We put to death sin and we we seek to put on godly character. This is the journey of the Christian life. That's the normal Christian life. And of course, we don't do this on our own. The the scriptures say the spirit of God is given to us to dwell within us and he is enabling us to, to do this. And yet the reality is in this life, in this world, this transformation will never be complete. No matter where we're at on that journey of growth, we will continue to battle sin. We will continue to struggle with sin. We will continue to struggle to obey God fully. But when we experience full spiritual transformation, that struggle with sin will be completely gone. Any battle in our will about obeying God or not will be completely gone. We will because we will have full spiritual and moral transformation. In 1 John, John says it this way, 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3, says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. 
And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, on Jesus, purifies himself just as he is pure. And so John, like Paul, he's looking forward to restoration. He says on that day when when Jesus appears, when he returns, he says we will be like him. And he's not talking about our physical bodies here, right? Because he says we will see him and we'll be like him. And everyone has this hope fixed on him, purifies himself. And so he's talking about this this spiritual transformation. Everyone who sees that is going to be working at that. And so he's talking here about becoming like him in in, in full spiritual transformation. Jude 24 says it this way. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. Standing in his presence, blameless, with great joy. You know, how often in this life we fail, right? I mean, we, we sometimes waver in our desire to please God, but there are those times where we're fully resolved to please God and still we fail. Still, we do not obey God fully. We are not blameless. We, we sin in thought, word, and deed. But when God accomplishes our restoration, our moral nature will be blameless. Blameless. Through Christ's redemptive work, God will make us stand in his presence blameless with great joy. No shame, no hiding, no need to hide because we'll be blameless. And, and it would just be joy. It would be joy. And so, we have the hope of resurrected bodies. In the restoration, we have the hope of being fully spiritually transformed. These are things that we will experience when restoration is complete. But I want to mention one thing that we will not experience, and that is the reality that there will be no more tears, no more death, no more pain. Revelation 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. When we experience Act 3, when we experience redemption and we find salvation through Jesus Christ, it is an amazing thing. But even as amazing as redemption is, we still live in a world marred and broken by sin. And because it's broken, even though... God loves us and is for us, and we're in a relationship with him. We still experience so much of the effects of sin, and we know that, right? We experience that every single day. We experience suffering. We experience pain. We experience loss, separation by death. But in the restoration, all of that is gone. All of that is gone. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more of this. As God will dwell among us, and all that is sad or painful or broken will have passed away. Our Father will wipe away every tear from our eyes, no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. This is an amazing picture of our future, right? 
Restoration. Restoration. A restored body fit for the kingdom of God. A moral nature fully transformed, able to stand in God's presence blameless. A life full of joy, not sadness and loss. And the news actually gets better because as we look next week, and it'll be in a restored creation, all of creation will be restored to its original good design. And so we dwell, we'll dwell with a restored body, fully transformed nature in a place made perfect in the new heaven and the new earth. That is what we will experience when God's kingdom fully comes. That's the final act in the drama of Scripture. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, for some reason, this final act in the drama of Scripture is one that I have spent a lot less time thinking about than creation, fall, redemption. I've spent a lot more time thinking about those things. And maybe part of it is because when it's all future, there's a sense of mystery and unknown, even though the Scripture tells us stuff. But I think probably I've just always sort of thought, I don't need to figure all that out. I just believe it's all going to work out well in the end. And, and that is true, but I think it is to our detriment. It is to my detriment to not reflect deeply on what we're looking at this morning. It is to your detriment to not contemplate and meditate on the truths of our restoration because the reality is it presses into our lives, into our world today, and it can help us live in this life. There are implications right now that we can, can experience and pursue when we understand what God is up to in our restoration. And so I want to mention a few things related to implications. The one is you can know that something better lies ahead. Something better lies ahead. It's guaranteed. You know, growing up, one of the things I loved um, was when we'd get to go on vacations. It wasn't an every year kind of thing, but for us growing up in south central Nebraska, vacation uh, might be going to the, the, the Black Hills, but I love going to the Colorado the most. And, uh, you know, as a young kid, when you're going from South Central Nebraska, that means driving through western Nebraska and eastern Colorado, which is not always like the most exciting places. But I can sort of put up, put up with the boring part of those states because something better lies ahead, right? The amazing Rockies, they're, they're amazing. As we travel through this life, we can know there's something better that lies ahead. There's something better that lies ahead. Some of you right now, I mean, you look at your life and you think, my life's pretty good. I like what I'm experiencing. Life has been really good to me. No matter how good your life has been, I want to declare to you there is something far better that lies ahead. The reality is that for many of us, life has not been so great. There's just hard stuff that we're dealing with. Sickness, difficulties, relationships that are struggling. There is so much in this life that is about suffering or loved ones suffering, losses. This is where many of us are right now this morning. But Act 4 tells you that there are better things ahead. There is. And you know, as I thought about this this week, I think sometimes, like, I really love life. I love this life. But I think sometimes I'm, I'm less willing to maybe make some of the sacrifices God wants me to because it seems like that's going to make life not as good. And I think when I reflect on the fact that there are better things in the future, I don't need to squeeze so much goodness out of this life. I need to just live in ways that are consistent with the kingdom of God because there's this eternity of better things lying ahead. So I don't have to put so much pressure on this life to be great. 
because there are better things that lie ahead. Restoration also means that there will be a day when you'll be everything God wants you to be. You'll be everything God wants you to be, everything He created you to be. You know, for most of us, we, 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 just, we often just experience the sadness of, you know, disappointing God. Now, he, we understand He forgives us, He loves us, he, He's declared that we're righteous in Christ, but we also understand that, that we do fail. As much as we may desire and long to please Him, we, we don't perfectly please Him, and there's this, this disappointment that's associated with that, but not in restoration. We will be everything that God wants us to be. Both of these things, knowing that there's something better that lies ahead and that you will be everything God wants you to be, I think the reason these are so important is they give us hope. They give us hope. And when we have hope, we can endure. Hope and endurance is really, they are connected. And so when we understand there are better days that lie ahead, that God will, that we will be everything God designed us to be, there's, there's a hope. And so this is why we need to dwell on this. This is why this is to our detriment if we don't understand these things. Gives us hope, helps us endure. Also, though, a third implication is that, that in light of our destiny, we should strive to live righteous lives in the present age. We should strive. We should work at it uh, in this present age to live lives of righteousness. And the fact is, that the, the reality is when, when we rightly understand our destiny, it presses back into our, our current experience and, and, and creates desire and longing for that kind of life. Think about what John said in 1 John there. He said, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has that hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see the connection that he's making there? When we understand our future, that we will be like Jesus, it causes us to long for it ourselves. We long for purity. We long for righteousness. Everyone who has that hope purifies himself. God calls us to live righteous lives. We see this over and over again in Scripture. And I believe that when we deeply understand restoration, where we're headed, who we're going to be, that creates desire in our heart to pursue that kind of life. Many of you know uh, the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She in, born in uh, 1960, or back in 1967 as an 18-year-old uh, gal. She, she dove into some shallow water and she was paralyzed, uh, became a quadriplegic. And so she spent all her life in a wheelchair. And, you know, if there's one person that's probably spent some time meditating on restoration, having a restored body, uh, it's, it's Johnny Erickson Tata, right? A um, number of years back, someone asked her, uh, she was speaking at a conference, um, and, and this is kind of what she said. She says, people say, you must be looking forward to heaven, thinking I'm looking forward to getting my new body. And after more than 25 years in a wheelchair, it is true that I am. But more than I'm looking forward to my new body, I'm looking forward to a heart without sin. See, it would be a great thing, right, for her to have a restored body. She would love that, but she knows there's even this deeper thing of a heart without sin. Because when we have a heart without sin, we experience uninhibited fellowship with God. Our deepest longings are met. Deep joy, no shame in the presence of God. And see, I think when we understand our destiny, I think when we understand where we are going, it creates longing for that kind of life right now, 
put away sin, so that I could have a deeper intimacy with God. It does press back into our current situation. And so we need to understand our restoration. Finally, the last implication of restoration is that we should live in a state of readiness. We should live in a state of readiness. And I think for, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, it's what I've just talked about. We, we've experienced redemption, and now we are living a life of working that out. We are working out our spiritual transformation. We are seeking to obey God in every area of life. That is how we live in a state of readiness. But for, the, for those of you here, who are here this morning who have not yet trusted in Jesus for salvation, what does it mean for you to live in a state of readiness? If you've been here for the whole series, uh, you, you've, you've heard the drama of Scripture, you've heard the, the sort of the meta-narrative, the large story that describes all of our lives. There is a creator who made this world, who made us. Creation was good. We were good. We had a relationship with God that was uninhibited, unhindered by anything. But then through the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin spread to everything, corrupted and marred everything. That includes us. We fell. We lost our relationship with God, and no amount of good works, living a good life, no amount of being really religious can fix that dilemma. But God didn't leave us in a hopeless situation. There was an act three. There was redemption. He sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, a perfect sinless life, and he died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose again from the dead to give us new life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have spiritual life. And so here's the deal. There is redemption found in Jesus Christ. It is a free gift. And for those who receive it, act for is everything that we talked about this morning. But those who do not receive the free gift that Jesus offers, act for is a very different thing. Act 4 is judgment. Act 4 is eternity away from the presence of God. So we've got to experience Act 3. That's how we live in a state of readiness. Each of us needs to humble ourselves and acknowledge our own brokenness, our own sin that we've experienced because of the fall. By nature and by choice, we are guilty before a holy God. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. And so in our humility, we, we cry out to God, God, save me. We ask him to forgive us our sins on the basis of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what we all need to begin living in a state of readiness. If you're here this morning and you have never done that, and yet you have this desire to begin living in a state of readiness, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond, to, to, to cry out to God. And I'm going to say a simple little prayer that, uh, that kind of expresses faith, express, expresses, God, will you come and save me and forgive my sins? And so this is something that just right there in the quietness of your heart between you and God, you can pray. And so follow along with me if you'd like. Let's pray. God, I acknowledge that I've sinned against you in my thoughts and in my deeds. I confess that I am guilty. And God, I am sorry for my sin. I acknowledge that I need Jesus. And this morning, I choose to place my faith in him and what he did on the cross for me. I believe that he paid the penalty for my sin. So I trust him. And today, I open up the door of my life. I receive you, Jesus, and I give my life to you. 
Father, thank you that because of Jesus, you do forgive my sin and you declare that I am righteous. If you prayed that prayer in genuine faith, God has forgiven you. He declares that he sees you with the righteousness of Christ. And you may feel something. You may feel relief. You may feel joy. You may not feel anything. But if you pray that prayer in genuine faith, God has responded. Jesus has forgiven you and come into your life. And I would encourage you to tell a friend or or tell me this morning. Father, for all of us, we thank you for the hope of our restoration. We thank you that better things lie ahead. Restored body. Hearts free of sin. God, help us to deeply understand what we're going to experience when all is restored. May these truths press back into our daily lives that that, that would help us in, in ways that would help us walk with you, that would help us obey you fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.